on the purpose front, I know there's so many people who are like, oh, I want to leave a legacy or I want to do this. And it's like, mm. that's great. But the moment of freedom that I had was when, it's going to sound really depressing. Okay, for it. <laughs> when I realized that I mean nothing. When you realize you're a tiny grain of mm. sand and you actually mean nothing, people don't, like they don't care or they don't, in the grand scheme of things. And the only people that really do are your friends and your family and their health. Yeah. That pressure yeah. is just gone. Alex Kirika, absolutely delighted to have you on the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. We've been friends on, I think it was Clubhouse originally, but LinkedIn, followed you religiously for the last two or three years. Delighted to have you on. For those who don't know what you do and who you are, tell the audience. So what do I do? I run a recruitment business called Tail, and I specialize in helping fintechs build out their compliance and anti-financial crime functions. And I think that's how we met through... Yes. recruitment clubhouse linkedin posting yeah no absolutely yeah. so you've got um, a recruitment background um how did you get into what you're doing now in terms of tail because your, that's your own business isn't it yes i think everyone has the story of just falling into recruitment mm. and i remember finishing university i was getting ready to do my master's yeah. i had an offer in place and then i remember my dad just asking me like why are you not working what are you, what are you doing? You've just finished university. I was like, Jesus Christ, give me some time to breathe. Yeah. But because I was stubborn, I ended up getting the first job and it was in recruitment and mm -hmm. it, it just stuck. I actually really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, that's how it happened. Yeah. But so talk to us about that. I want to go back as well and I'll talk to you about your journey, but in mm -hmm. terms of, um, you had a couple of roles before tail. Talk to us about that experience because looking at your your um content it's very human-led it's it's actually quite funny as well but it's very direct and it doesn't smack me doesn't smack of an archetypal recruiter who wants to follow kpis or follow con con follow conformity basically oh yeah um first year and a half i was working for a really big global business mm -hmm. and Hindsight really is a gift because in hindsight, it was probably the best training ground that I ever had because they really pushed you on the KPIs, but they really pushed you on how to sell. Mm. And I'm not saying it was the most ethical or moral ways of, of selling. Like, you know, when you fish for information or this or this, yeah. there were so many people posting fake jobs and just trying to get leads, but it was a really good training ground to know what are people doing? What do I like about this? And how can I tailor it to my own way? What I, what do mm. I feel comfortable with? Mm. Like I remember getting on the phone to a client and you had to go through the switchboard of a tier one bank and then you have to come yeah. up with a fake reason. And I remember just completely shitting myself having mm. to do that. I was like, it's so not me. Um, how can I adapt this? and do it in a way where I do feel comfortable doing it. Mm. So yeah, it was brutal. It was long hours. I think most people have, or most recruitment companies have the most attrition yeah. in the first two years, right? Because it's just so hard. But I there was the human aspect that I did really enjoy. Yeah. And then my second company, completely different. I had a little bit more freedom. 
to do recruitment how I wanted. I did BD in a very different way. Mm. It was slower, but it got a hell of a lot more results from it. Yeah. And after that, in June, May 2020, um, I think businesses faced some really tough decisions because of COVID Mm -hmm. and wasn't a fan of how it was all approached and me on my moral high horse I just said (laughs) screw it I'm gonna go and do it myself yeah and that's really how it started Mm. and I wanted to spend the first three months of that business just helping people because people were made redundant people were furloughed candidates were in such a crappy situation affecting their mental state everything and I thought well what's the best way to get a message out there to help as many people as possible and it was literally through videos yeah and that's what i did after i launched tail because without being too discrediting to the recruitment sector it's, it's a sector that i've been mm. in, in for 20 odd years i love it and it's got a reputation good at times and not so good at others and yeah kind of like values and kind of like caring about actual actually caring about candidates and redundancies and furloughs isn't necessarily apparent so what um have you always sort of cared about sort of values and the human side of things? It, it kind of doesn't, going into recruitment, you strike me as someone who's very, you, you're emotionally invested in the outcome, aren't you? Oh God, yeah. Yeah, I'm a massive empath. Right. I mean, I did English literature. <laughs> massive, just creative, always loved anything to do with feeling and emotion. Like I, I carry it quite heavily and I really do enjoy it. So mm that's what I did like about the recruitment side Mm. is that you can care for candidates. And actually we really do. There is nothing worse than having to tell a candidate you really believe in that they didn't get the job. Like Mm. we do a lot of fighting in that negotiation process to get them what they want. Um, so yeah, we feel it. I I reckon just as much as the candidates when they get rejected. Mm. But do you feel there's a misconception then of what recruiters are? Or do you feel that they, they paint their own uh, bad brush with, with a bad brush? Because some of them portray themselves as not that. Oh, that's a really big question. Um, just because I agree with both, there are some... Mm. I'd love to say that we've moved away from the stereotypical recruitment image. Yeah. And I do think we have to an extent, and I think COVID helped with that. Yeah. but we're still just as freaking annoying as we used to be. Like (laughs) we are. And I don't think the AI sales messaging is helping either because now they're just bombarding at a much bigger scale. Mm. The stereotype thing, a good recruiter is worth their weight in gold. I fully believe that. Yeah. But just like anything, you're going to get bad eggs Mm. in there. Mm. And I think... I remember getting told back in the day that you don't do recruitment um, to help people. Yeah. A lot of people that do it, they do it for the money. Mm-hmm. But I think that narrative can actually spin. I think you can definitely do recruitment and do yeah. it because you want to help people. Yeah. It doesn't have to be about the money. No. You can all. do both, can't you? Absolutely, you can do both. Do you, do you think that um, recruitment consultants tend to, I, I think they do, but you might not agree that they tend to kind of treat clients they roll a red carpet out for a client was a candidate they seem to be more relaxed more chilled and i i think that when you start to treat them one in the same that's when you start to win what do you think to that oh absolutely i mean i made that mistake in my i want to say first couple of months of tail Mm -hmm. 
but that's because there's a lot of imposter syndrome at the time. And I was like, crap, I need to do my first deal or my first placement. And I just accepted any terms with some really crappy roles at the time. And mm. I got massively screwed over and I put right. the client on a pedestal. And then after that, it was, I felt like I gained proper power the moment I said no to a client. Mm. That was a really big turning point for me because I've never done that before. Mm. And the moment you can be honest with a candidate and say, I'm really sorry, but you're just not the one for this job for X, Y, Z reason and actually be a consultant. But then being able to do it to the client as well and say, respectfully, I don't think that's the best team approach for this. Yeah. That's that's true consultancy, isn't it? You know, telling people what they want to hear. I mean, it might work in the short term, but actually causes you more problems. Oh my God. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, I don't know with other sectors as much, but in fintech in particular, they're a growing company. They are coming to you because they don't know who to go to, to hire that person. They are actually looking, you know, at you for market industry, like what are the salaries are acceptable? Like you're allowed to say, I think you're offering a really crap salary Mm. because of X, Y, Z reason. Yeah. But people just get scared to do it. But the right clients will, as you say, the right clients will definitely respect you. And it's it's having that courage of your convictions. And actually, I think where people go wrong is, oh, we can't say that to the client, they might not work with us again. But actually, ultimately, you're not going to deliver a good service unless you tell them that stuff. Oh God, yeah. But it's the moment that, the moment you realize that you shouldn't care about any of that stuff. If I... If they yeah. don't want to work with me, then is that a client I really want to work with in yeah. the first place? Yeah. I don't. I'd rather spend my time finding someone who likes how I approach things. Yeah. So we'll go back to recruitment in a minute. I want to find a bit more about you, the real Alex, the real person, because <laughs> your TikToks are hilarious uh, and you put some vulnerable stuff out there on, in different platforms, which is yeah. great to see as well. Just paint me a picture or ask in the audience of your journey and talk to us about some of the darkest times and difficult times you've been through, perhaps since school. Um, I want to know more about your parents. You've got your, you've got your brother as well. Yeah. So I know quite a lot about you, but I feel like I don't know enough. <laughs> um, how far do we go, I guess? Well, I was raised in Romania. Right. And then... You're born in Romania. Born in Romania okay. and then raised in Romania up until the age of seven. Mm-hmm. But my parents moved to England when I was three. Right. And then my grandparents raised me up until I was seven. And then I moved to England with my parents. Wow. So you didn't see your parents necessarily properly till seven. Yeah. Three and seven. Okay. Yeah. And I think that was really difficult. I mean, massively difficult for my parents. Like I know that. And I did not realize the repercussions of that kind of childhood until I got into my 20s. Was that a um, financial thing for them to come over here? yeah so we had a really really good life in Romania like they had a business by the time they were 21 they like really really well provided for Mm. so that's amazing but I think they had some friends that came to England and they saw the opportunities and they said okay let's just go and see what we could do there but at the time their university degrees meant nothing yeah none of their business stuff meant anything so they had to start from scratch Mm. and they spent five years establishing themselves as much as they could to a point where they just said screw it i want my daughter here and then they put me 
in year three and I didn't know any English at the time. Of course, yeah. And then, yeah, grew up in Essex. Let's delve into that in a minute. You touched on a minute when it played out in your 20s. I'm sure there was kind of instances before then, but what, what was the biggest impact at 20, you were saying in your 20s of that? I think in your 20s, that's when you start thinking about how does your childhood impact your life? And I think that that's not mm. something I ever thought of. No. And then you realize, oh my God, it impacts absolutely everything. <sighs> and then when... I kind of took a year off last year to just really look at myself and what I'm going through. And everything always came back to the abandonment that I had. And then I remember someone telling me, it's like, Alex, you realize that you you were abandoned twice. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, well, you were abandoned by your parents, Mm. but then you were abandoned by your grandparents. Because then they raised you. I was like, oh, Mm. that's fun. So unpacking that was mm. interesting. That really resonates with me because I was abandoned by my mother and I was fostered between the ages of three and seven. And how that played out for me was um, it really affected my relationships. Mm. Um, I attracted the wrong partner and um, it made me feel not very worthy and kind of, but what it did do, it almost gave me my drive in my business. It's yeah. kind of almost like it, it affects you so badly that you almost feel like you need to prove something to somebody how how would you say that worked for you I think in a very similar vein I remember we I didn't grow up with money my parents did absolutely everything that they could and I had everything that I needed as a Mm. child had a roof Mm. over my head and I had food and massively grateful yeah but I could sense that they were just working themselves into a grave Mm. and I remember at the age of 11 when my brother was born I almost mentally took a step back and said you know what mum and dad you don't need to worry about me I can handle myself so I almost my self-worth yeah I purposely did that so that they can focus on other things Mm. and that's when I took ownership over my education you kind of became your own parent I became my own parent I grew up Mm. very very quickly I remember asking my mum you know what job makes the most money yeah because in my head, I wanted to do that in order to help them. And my mom said, doctor or a lawyer? And I said, well, I don't like science. So I'm going to go to mm-hmm. being a lawyer. And I, a lot of my education was motivated to become a lawyer. Okay. That's why I got incredibly good grades. I did yeah. really, really well, went to a good uni. Mm. Um, and I just didn't go into it. We, My mom ended up getting cancer and then that just changed our entire family values oh, wow how sorry to hear that how old were sorry. you then when that happened uh it was my second year of uni so i think i was about 20 years old and okay. i remember we sat down as a family and we just said you know what all mm. she wanted to do was travel that's all she wants to do she just wants to live her life yeah. and not to be worried about money anymore i was mm. like well I've worked from the ages of like 12 years old, motivated to become a lawyer. And then all of a sudden this realization that I can actually do what I like. Yeah. So that was quite a big moment. And how's that played out, the cancer? Oh, she's great. Uh, She's had the all clear now Mm -hmm. um, after about six years. Oh, wow. So really, really really thankful and happy for that. So let's let's talk about more of the impact of the the double abandonment one one, mm. one's enough but to have it twice <laughs> i mean 
um, anxiety, depression, whatever, trauma, all that kind of stuff. But what about relationships? What about how relationship with yourself as well? I was very mothering to people. I still am, especially with my friends. I think I just take on that role as being quite a fixer, which really Mm. never ended up well in relationships. I Mm. ended up being quite codependent as well because it was always this feeling of either I don't want you to leave me or I Mm. don't want to be left or am I good enough for you? Mm. But actually it was never really them. I guess. I mean, they played a part, but fundamentally I had to work on that myself. So I remember last year I just completely took the time off and I said, when have I ever had a moment to myself where I was just single? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And just figure me out. Being comfortable in all your, in all your positivity, but also all your kind of demons as well, for want of a better term, and just sitting there with your feelings. Absolutely. I took so much time to be alone last year. I traveled alone, spent a lot of time alone. Mm. I journaled. I loved journaling so much. I did therapy, but not in the sense that I I, I never had depression. I'm really thankful for that and grateful. Mm. But I really just wanted to find out about myself. And a, a big driving factor was... I realized this big irony of how can I work in an industry of people where I'm constantly having to talk and understand people and I don't understand myself. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. What the hell? Because it's almost like, I think I was the same. I kind of like went into recruitment and kind of like, it kind of like almost like became a mask or a shield because I could talk and ask questions and all that mm. kind of stuff. And it was stopped me asking questions to myself. Yeah. It's almost not necessarily projecting, but you're just yeah. avoiding yeah. everything about yourself. So Doing that was enlightening. I feel a lot stronger. I know myself a lot more. I know my boundaries and yeah. I know when I've given too much. That was almost my my problem. I always yeah. gave way too much and I didn't know when to stop. So you talked about maybe the therapy, but I, I think it's been a journey. It's, for me, it has. But you don't just wake up one day and go, oh, I'm now worthy and I'm brilliant. It's, it's kind of like, how was that journey? How did that journey play out? I must have had some really dark times along that way. and dark times or feeling of kind of like I've, I've i've had times when i felt completely um helpless and kind of like i don't know um times when i've just wanted to be on my own and there's times when i've, I've been open about my own kind of suicide attempts and yeah. stuff like that but i'm not saying it ever got to that stage but you know sometimes in our darkest moments is when we actually find the biggest strength right yes i I did feel, and not necessarily depression or a dark moment, but mm. I did feel a lot of loneliness. Mm. I, I thought there was a massive difference of being alone or wanting to be alone and then actually just feeling lonely. Yeah. So that's the main thing I feel like I've really struggled. I'm thankful. I think I'm quite in touch with my emotions, so I managed to ride through a lot of it quite well, mm-hmm. but when you own a business and then the sudden realization that no one is going to care anywhere near as much as you ever will yes puts you in a very lonely position yeah it doesn't matter who you hire it doesn't matter who you work with they will never care for Mm. something as much as you do Mm. of course i totally agree with that and then it's like shit i'm the only one here Mm. and i remember i used to envy 
like my ex-partners when they'd wake up it's like oh, i've got a team of 12 and then we get to do this together or do mm. that together that's so nice yeah 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 it's like i can't wait to have that yeah one day yeah also do you, you want to actually build a business and, and manage people and that kind of stuff yeah oh you do right yeah okay. i think the kind of personality that i have yeah my what's stopping you right now <laughs> launching my second business yeah and it's very different it's very new and it's going to happen um but I guess it's when I go for funding. That's when it's going uh, to happen. So <laughs> so talk to us about this. This is a very interesting rec finder. Correct me if I'm wrong. I've yes. seen it. It looks great. But tell the audience what that is. So rec finder. <laughs> the way I normally describe it to people is if Bumble and LinkedIn had a baby, then <laughs> it would be rec finder. And honestly, that's just right. the most simple way to explain it. Yeah, but yeah. really what it is, it's a marketplace where hiring managers can go and filter out the individual recruiter that they need for the specific niche that they're hiring in. Okay. So when you find this individual, you're not looking at a business, you're looking at the specific individual that does that. Mm. Then they are able to match with them. Right, right. And after they match, that's the only time the recruiter can then send them a message. So it stops a lot of the spamming and the bombarding. This, this, is, this is such a cool idea because like I... I, I uh mention this quite a lot on linkedin and all to all my clients i mean so, some of the people out there on in recruitment they've got like they, they profess to be specialists and they're mm. like uk head of the world and his dog it's like well <laughs> what are you trying to and it's just it's such a thing isn't it oh my god yeah they it's like a jack of all trades yeah. and they think they can do everything mm. it's the gift of the gab really isn't it yeah so well, I think I think some of the recruit, recruitment people out there, can, recruitment consultants out there, can do can do it to an extent. But mm. when I was when I was doing it back in the day, and I still do it now, but I had I was doing AS four hundred mainframe, which is an old school mainframe system. Mm -hmm. I was doing the Southwest. There was only forty two clients that I could place with, and I placed with thirty nine of them. I was making about a million quid a year. I'm not saying that's the holy grail or the solution, but I do think less is more. Inch wide, mile deep. When you when you are a true specialist, you can just leverage the client a lot more. Oh my god! But you also talk in a very different way. You talk with authority. Mm. You talk with credibility because you've yeah. seen it before. I have no idea what it takes to hire for a marketing team in a fintech. Mm. I will never even talk about it. Like I, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. But I know exactly how you should structure a financial crime team in a fintech. Mm. And I will, and I will advise, and I will help. Yeah. And actually, it leads into the type of BD that I do. I would create documents, literally telling people how to do it and sending it to founders. Right. And then it's like I've sent you the information. Yes. There you go. Have it for free. I want to talk about. You mentioned slower BD, but on on the rec finder thing. Yes. What's what's your plan for that? Where do you want it to go? So rec finder. Um, mm. it was a couple of missions with it the overall mm. one is it's very ambitious and i wrote it down in 2021 um i do want to change recruitment yeah. with it because i yeah. think it can fight off stereotypes it can help recruiters become more niche because sure. you can only select two sectors so right. anyone that matches with you you know it's going to be relevant you know it's going to mm. be direct and it's just almost funneling the direct people in your inbox a big benefit I can see, I think you've mentioned it as well, that the recruitment agency archetypally will want to go out and make the cold call to get the client. Mm -hmm. but this reverses that. The client, yeah. the client phones the, 
agency. Absolutely. But I think people don't realize businesses are going to use us. Mm. It's what, like a 39 billion pound yeah. industry? Yeah, of course. Why are you acting like everything's going to dry up out of nowhere yeah. when it's such a profitable business? Like people are always going to hire. Yeah. Businesses are always going to be created. Yeah. I think London is like either first or second in terms of tech startups opposed to like Silicon Valley. So it's it's having the nous and the smartness to, and the intelligence to position yourself in in the right way. Yeah. Um, and even on your LinkedIn profile, it's just the keywords. You, you can if you do it in the right way, you get found rather than trying yeah, to find. Exactly. Absolutely. And I just think if you take that pressure off a second, mm, it's interesting. Then you know you've carved out a niche. Then you should be found. And it's also a product that I really want it to be used for the smaller agencies this is yes. rooting for the underdog okay not every business needs to go to no the only five agencies that people really know in recruitment yeah i think there's been a massive shift in the last five years of uh, you know the rise of solopreneurs and one person bands and actually you know there's so many solopreneurs out there like yourself and others that have that opened up massive accounts because people people want to be, they want to deal with people now they want they want that approach as opposed yeah. to we've got all these bells and whistles but actually you can have a great network of candidates if you do it the right way oh my god I, i've mm. been shocked yeah at the businesses that have wanted to work with me yeah there was an element of imposter syndrome but <laughs> you know i'm just like you big company want to <laughs> yeah. work with me I was like, wow, okay, I'll yeah. take it. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It's just yeah. humanizing the process and just realizing you only work with the individual. You've mentioned imposter syndrome twice now. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, it's something that you suffer from or not. Did. Right. I did. Now I, I lean into it. Actually, I lean into it quite heavily now because if I feel it, it means I'm doing something that's going to make me grow. Yes. Before... I I didn't see my value. Mm. I was 24 and I remember making my first big placement. It was like a 20K fee and thinking, oh my Christ, this feels like daylight robbery. This feels really, really bad. Like wow. I am not cut out for this. Mm. But the reason it felt like that is because I didn't give myself any credit. I didn't put any value on what I was actually doing. Mm. So I started feeling guilty. Yeah. And I was like, was am, nice. I, am I actually good enough for this? Or but Do you feel that goes back to how, not deliberately, but how the situation of your parents leaving made you feel you've always felt unworthy and that's just a, that's just a, a similar feeling of oh, I can't I can't have that yeah no I definitely I mean it's mm. it kind of permeates into different areas of your life right yeah um and just like everything else you have to work on it either in your relationships and then yeah. my focus at the time was really working on it through work mm. and it was my mentor really who said because I went to him and I just said why do I feel like this this is yeah. really really strange and he's yeah. the one who put it into perspective for me and said no you just don't see your value yet mm. it's like oh crap okay mm. so I journaling's my thing that's how I right. I figure out a lot of my thoughts and yeah. I just wrote it all down what is my value what do I think my value is and yeah. I did that exercise that people talk about where you ask your friends like five things right okay and that was really, really cool. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I just changed my approach. I think, I think you're demonstrating a lot of kind of personal development. People laugh at it, laugh at it. But I think that 
when you start doing the journaling or whatever else that you're doing, you start to actually see the benefits and the growth. It's transform. It's transformative, and it's, it's those that don't do that that I think get caught out and get caught up with things. So, talk to us about your the journaling. What, what I mean, some people have got like morning routines and all this stuff. <laughs> do you have anything like that going on? Um, I do love routines. Like I yeah. tried the whole digital nomad thing last year. Okay. It didn't work out for me. I was like, I just need my office. I need my desk. Like I need a solid place that I can work from. So I'm yeah. glad I tried it, but it was not for me. Mm. Um, the journaling started a couple of years ago and depending on how I'm feeling on that day, whether something is stressing me out or I felt some type of way about a situation, yeah. I'd go into real detail, but I always make sure that I end it on a very positive note mm. or I say something like the stereotypicals are like what I'm really grateful for yeah, or something that I'm proud of that I did that day. Mm. So I let it be a release yeah. of the negativity, but then I always try to spin it at the end. Yeah. I think when you said leaning leaning into things, that's a really key thing for me because when you're high and flying, it's all great, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but I always say this too sharp pass. Even when you're doing really well and everything's good, it, it doesn't necessarily last. But when you're in the shit and it's really difficult, that, that doesn't last either. And sometimes what I've learned is that now when I'm anxious or something bad's happened or a difficult person's coming because I'm an empath as well, mm. I, I do think I do uh, instead of worrying about that as much as what I used to, I kind of think, ah, what's this telling me something good is around the corner and kind of like i've i've, I've learned i'm not gr- still still learning but i've learned that some of the adversity and difficulties it's almost like it's just like a test and a lesson and embrace that embrace that feeling i love it i i remember getting a lot of that at the beginning with tail like thinking oh my god i've never been through this before mm. this is mm. a challenge this is new this is really really cool um yeah and it's not that I've disillusioned myself, but I started talking to myself and saying that nothing is hard. <laughs> right. Okay. And it's like, if I'm confronted with something, it's like the immediate thought that I go to on purpose is, mm. this isn't hard. That's a good positive mindset. Yeah. Like, this is fine. This, is, mm. this isn't hard. Like, I don't yeah. have to make more of it than what it actually is. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I remember reading, there was, um, there's a book by Darren Brown called A Little Happier. Okay. And he talks a lot about stoicism in that book, but he, it was through that book that I read a couple of years ago that made me realize that happiness is really when you reach a flat line. Like you're going to have moments where you're really, really happy and you, you get happy, but then like you said, you hit a low, but it's how quick can you get to the baseline? Yeah. Yeah. And people confuse peace with boredom a lot of the time. Right. It's like when things are going okay and you're at home and you're flat and you're yeah. doing nothing and you've totally. got a roof over your head. Yeah. What have you got to feel anxious no. about in that present moment? Yeah. And the ability to sit there and go, I don't have to watch TV. I don't have to do this. I can just sit here and just look out the window and that's cool. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I've, yeah. I've studied Carl, John, uh, Carl Young, sorry, some psychology and he came up with the concept. And I love this. Life is like an American football field where you've got two end zones one end zones where you're flying high mm. everything's going relationships money you're flying you're on top of the world and there's the other end zone when you're down depressed and you're really in the shit you don't necessarily want to be in either of them because um if you're up high you can bet your bottom dollar you're going to come down anyway yeah but also if you're really in the shit you know 99 times out of 100 it always passes always. so you're trying to be in that kind of like 30 40 50 middle middle ground and actually being being on the go high all the time, it's that's not sustainable anyway, right? It's destructive. So, it's really so it's contentment, isn't it? You know. Yeah, it's appreciating it for what it is in that moment for mm. sure. 
Like mm. always be grateful when you're having that high. Like really happy to be here. This is amazing. Yeah. Like I had my best year last year. No, mm. last year. The year before that, because last year I took the year off. But then this yeah. year, it has been slower. It's like, yeah. okay, that's, this too shall pass. That's very true. So you're, you're very purpose-driven, but, but you talked about looking after the candidates, but I've also seen that you travel a lot. You like the finer things in life. <laughs> and obviously, you know, there's got to be that, 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 that balance around. You're doing it for the money as well, obviously. But how would, you, how would you describe yourself and your purpose around it? money, purpose? Why are you doing what you're doing? Have you got any aspirations to like have 45 houses somewhere and big fast cars? Obviously not. I don't know. What, what's, 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 what, what, what are the benefits of doing what you're doing? That's a really interesting question because I've, the only motivation that I had financially was since I was young, because I didn't grow up with money mm. and there was never, I always felt really guilty or bad going to ask my parents for something because you could just see it on their face that you, yeah, they yeah. want to give it to you, but I didn't want to make them feel any type of way. Mm. Um, so I started working from the age of 15 and then every single summer from that year onwards, I've always worked, mm. always had a job. And it was more so that I can sustain myself in case I wanted something that, you know, I didn't want to ask my parents for. And now yeah. I remember with tail when I made, I made like a hundred K in the first five months, wow. which was more than three, I remember that times. you kind of, to interrupt you a little bit, you kind of literally blew up, didn't you? For yeah. like two, three months. It was like, wow. Wasn't it? Yeah. I think, I think that's because at the time, there was literally no one doing videos on LinkedIn. Mm. There was no one doing it. Your videos are really good. Thank as you. As well. But. but if you really look back to like true. 2020, yeah. we're not that you got, great. You got in at the right time. <laughs> I really did. Yeah. And But when I made like 100K, I looked at it. I was like, I don't feel anything about this. 24 years old with that amount of money and I'm not even... Mm. It really is not doing anything for me right now. All it made me think of is if my parents get into trouble, then I can help. Was it a bit of an anticlimax then? Just... Yeah, it was an anticlimax, but I feel like it was the most fortunate anticlimax to have at a really young age to realize that lesson. Yeah. Because now I'm not aspiring to have that salary, for instance, mm -hmm. when I'm like in my 30s or whenever, and then have that same reaction. Yeah, yeah. I had it quite young at 24 and I was just like oh, okay well it's good to realize that now because now I definitely need to like my job because mm. I'm clearly not I know you can make money if you want to make money you can this really resonates because I mean I, I got to 5 million 10 million whatever every very different to my 100 you, you grand know, it's, it's just fine. numbers I'm not like it's not one upmanship here <laughs> I promise um, but it's the same concept it's all relative it's like every time I got there I was like oh okay and it's just like uh, then I was like chasing the next office and the next mm holiday and all that kind of stuff and it's only when i actually lost that yeah. all, all that and i kind of realized now but and now i'm very i'm put more more purpose driven than i ever have been but then i got to a point where i started to resent people with money and that was negative as well okay. so i think it's about finding that balance between money's important but it's not the be all and end all agreed i feel really happy that i can use it to have nice moments with my family and friends mm -hmm. I don't buy stuff. That's that's the weird thing. I'm not a stuff person. Oh, okay. Experiences more. Oh, massively. Mm. Yeah, I love experiences. Like it is really nice to have that freedom. And yeah. if my mom wants to do something, it's like yeah, cool. Let's do it. Like, yeah. That sounds, we can so what what is your contentment? What's your purpose? What's your what's the you know what do you want out of life now? 
what do I want? I want to, what's my purpose? I guess I kind of said it mm. that I do want to change recruitment in the sense of I want people to think differently about recruiters. Yeah. I find that it has so much negativity attached to it, but there's so much potential to turn people's minds mm. like around yeah, yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, but on the purpose front, I know there's so many people who's like, oh, I want to leave a legacy or I want to do this. And it's like, mm. that's great. But the moment of freedom that I had was when it's gonna sound really depressing. Okay, no, for it. <laughs> When I realize that I mean nothing. When you realize you're a tiny grain of mm. sand and you actually mean nothing, people don't, like, they don't care or they don't, in the grand scheme of things. And the only people that really do are your friends and your family and their health. Yeah. That pressure yeah. is just gone. This is a really interesting concept because I think on the, linking this to social media, I think that I've been guilty and people are guilty of themselves where they start to get traction, start to get likes, start yep. to get followers, they start to think they're actually important. But actually, 95% of those people couldn't give a shit. And they don't, but that's completely fine. It's so normal as well. I think I used to care at the beginning because you attach your self-worth to it. And then I, you have to separate the business side of it and it's like, this is business Alex on LinkedIn. Yeah, right. Okay. It's still a version of me, yes. Yeah. But my self-worth is not to link to that in any way, shape or form. Okay. So would and you say you're a different person offline to online or? Not really, to okay. be honest. I think you've met me now. I think, I, I, think, I don't think there's I'm much of a difference. Similar. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think yeah. it, in terms of what you, how often you do it or yeah. caring about how many likes you I th get. I think what you're saying here is that there's a difference between your intention. You're posting generally on LinkedIn to actually to add value, to get business. Whereas some people, I think, they post on LinkedIn for the validation, for the thirst, for the likes. and Exactly. The, their intention is different. You're right. It's the intention behind it. It's like, what are you looking for? I've posted things that are completely full flat, like a lead balloon. Mm. That, that's fine. It's mm. not a problem. Mm. It's... I'm still going to try it. I'm going to try it till I figure it out and see what kind of messages really do help people. Um, Why do you care so much about the uh, improving the perception of recruiters? Why is that? Why is that important to you? Because I do like the industry. I yeah. really, really do. I think we can add, we add so much value. And mm. I think... It makes me feel really sad that even recruiters themselves don't like saying that they work in recruitment. Yeah, right. I've had it before when right. someone asks me what I do and I'm just like, oh, yeah, I work in recruitment. <laughs> I'm that annoying person. Yeah. It's like, why am I instantly putting myself down? I want yeah. to be able to say I'm a recruiter with some sense of but, pride. Do you know what? I, I, th I think that it's almost like it's, it's self-defecating because I think actually compared to a lot of under, a lot, lot, lot of other industries, I'm not mm. saying we're perfect, but there's industries out there that are just shocking with their customer service and what they do. Oh, God, yeah. But so. then what's this mentality? I think it's a very UK-specific mentality because yeah. in the US, they're so respected. Yes. They're like, oh, you're a headhunter. Like, you don't you get any this? of the objections. That's why people are doing loads of stuff in the USA because it's like almost like, hi, recruitment, come in. It's like it's a, yeah. it's a different world, right? It's just the UK because it's mm. so saturated. Mm. And I just yeah. think recruitment, the, I've been to a couple of conferences that are not recruitment related whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I keep hearing recruitment talk. Every business that was on the 
stage talking yeah. was talking about hiring people or how they make their businesses grow or the challenges in hiring. I'm looking around, it's like, yeah. why don't you have a recruiter industry expert yes. to talk about this? So you've t you've told me that you want to build your business. Um, what, advi what advice would you give to someone who wants, wants to build a recruitment business? What, 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 what's the reasons why recruitment businesses don't grow? And what's the reason why they do grow in your opinion? Why? What advice would I give to someone? Because I, I, I think the whole specialism thing, the whole purpose thing is becoming much more of a play as opposed to um, let's just make as many placements as possible. Yeah, I think, I think people now can see the difference between those that just want to make money mm. and those who really just want to help and add value and really be a consultant. Yeah. I think people are getting switched on about that. Yes. In in terms of clients and hiring managers. Mm -hmm. And I think if you genuinely love your sector and you love what you do and mm. you really want to learn about it yeah. and you want to help businesses niche down, great. That's amazing. But I don't I mean this is something I can ask you because I'm a yeah. solopreneur, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your job fundamentally changes the moment you want to scale. So then it's like, mm. do you want to be a biller or do you want to be a business owner? Mm. I think they're two very different yeah. skill sets. There's a lot of good billers who think they can just go Absolutely. and start a business. It's about, it's like, being, about being aware and accountable and understanding what your strengths are. There are some yeah. rare breeds out there that can do it all. But if, if you're a great biller, that's fantastic. But if you're really bad at marketing and operations, then you've got to outsource that or find someone else. That, and it's, you can't be all things to all people. And I think... I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, we have a good two, three, four months and think it's all going to be like that all the way through. And it's not. So my my advice, if I can give it, is, is understand your strengths and, mm. and, and plug your gaps with other people or other technology or whatever. I will always say do it, though, mm. only because you never want to have the what if at the back of your yeah, head. I agree with that. Never. And I would have not realized what I like doing had I not launched mm. Tail. Mm. I realized that my strength is the operational side. Yeah. is the marketing side is looking at the bigger picture and having that vision that i love yeah. more than anything so is your plan to grow tail and work finder at the same time or do you want to put more effort into one or i will be going into rec finder full time okay right. so there will be a transition phase mm -hmm. um but rec finder is going to be my full time once it launches and it could be launching in november this mm. year so got testers already lined up to come and play on it everyone yeah. that i've asked is like please break it for me because <laughs> if you don't then it's yeah. not going to get better yeah but i have um a lot of fintechs and hiring managers who have expressed a ridiculous amount of interest in something like this that even talent yeah. acquisition can use for some of their niche hiring yeah, yeah. so what are you fearful of on that journey because it's it's, it's a bold brave thing you've launched you're about to launch it's all great what's what are you going to be worried about do you reckon um, I think I'm gonna be afraid of people not fully understanding what this is trying to do mm. or trying to communicate that as clearly as, as possible to kind of make people realize this is a benefit. This is how yeah. we move forward. Mm. 
the future of recruitment is even more lifestyle businesses. It is, yeah. It's not going to slow down. God, is it 20, over 20 or 1,000 sub five people brands from that, isn't there? 28,000. Yeah, 28,000. 28, right. Okay. Right. And it's only going to become more of those. It's like, how do we cater for that big bulk of people in that space? Mm. And everyone over COVID, like how big has personal brand and marketing been? Yeah. For businesses, massive. Totally, totally. So I think the mentality is starting to change, but I am fearful of, is this product potentially too soon mm. or not? But it's one of those things that you just said, you don't know until you try. You'd be better off trying and, and it not, not working out and living in the, the question of did it or will it or whatever, isn't it? That's why my fear isn't if it fails. Yeah, right. Because I've, it's, it's a like, learning thing. I anyway. need it. I need yeah. to do it. I remember having it in the back of my head since yeah. 14th of February, 2021. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I need to do this. <laughs> Cause I've, <laughs> I've seen your, um, I'm fair play to you. I've seen your thing, one of your posts about personal branding being, you're not just one thing. Um, what do you mean by that? That you're not just one thing. Um, you're not just a recruiter, I guess you are especially in a business, you're not just a business owner. Like you are your marketing, you are your accountant and like yeah. all of the other things, you're your own CFO. You're literally every title under the sun. But on top of that, outside of work, you are potentially mm. a mother, a daughter, right, okay. a, a friend, like you're all of these different things and you mm. pull that hat on when it's necessary and required to do so. Yeah. So you never pigeonhole people because everyone has so many different things. So you're, you're sort of saying to the, the, the personal branding gurus out there who've got like their whole mo modus operandi encapsulated in one sentence is like, oh yeah, that's great. But what else are you? You can't just be that one, that one thing. Yeah. And you can lean into all of those things though. Mm. Like I'm not saying that you're a different person for all of those things. No, it's no. just a different facet of you. Yeah. And like LinkedIn I think, I mean, you can tell me more, but my impression is that yeah. what LinkedIn gets in terms of my personal brand is very different to what my Instagram is. Yeah, it's a different audience, a different kind of play, isn't it? It's different. Yeah, and what works for Instagram wouldn't work for LinkedIn Absolutely. necessarily. But it's still me and you can still mm. see the thread of me in there where I get either sarcastic or ranty yeah. or whatever it is. I think LinkedIn's changed though. I think it has become a lot more personable. Yeah, I... <laughs> How do you feel about all of that? How do I feel about it? I think yeah. that I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if once for LinkedIn. <laughs> I've, I've built loads of businesses from it. I've built loads of friends from it. It's all great. But the truth is, I think that it's been oversaturated with a lot of people putting selfies out and there's the words in the post and it's got like nothing to do with the selfies. Like, <laughs> and you've got 400 likes. So well done. But you're talking to someone about what flavor crisps you like. It's like, what's that going to do for your life kind of thing versus... Yeah. You know, what do you think? I did notice that. I did notice that. And I'm thinking, I don't really know what's going on here. I guess it's just the trend that I'm hoping is going to fall off the bandwagon very, very soon. And something else is going to take part. I like the occasional memes. Yeah. I love the memes if they are yeah. relevant to the thing that you are saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've not, I've, there's different approaches. And I just think there are. Mm. Something's better left on other social media platforms. Yeah. But if you can link it, 
That's oh, different. I mean, I, I can't be all right. I posted about my birthday today. Yeah, really. well, that's fine, isn't it? But I think that, that there's a true statement in terms of followers is, is is currency, and people do look at. Unfortunately, they do look at your follower account, and that you automatically make a make a decision. But mm. I think sometimes, and I've been guilty of it in the past, where uh, we're posting, we get the likes, but. I think that I've taken a step back and I, for about two months, I didn't really post on LinkedIn. It done me so many favors. I just looked at life differently and I'm not, I'm not chasing it anymore. Yeah. And sometimes my, I've had, I've had a post that got 21 million views, 300,000 likes, 4,000 shares, 10,000 comments. I gained what did eight, you post? I gained 18,000 followers. It was just a basic picture of me before kind of my divorce, me now, look, look what I was like then, look at me now. I'm now this, and it was just quite a basic thing, but it went absolutely wild. I think it's one of LinkedIn's top posts ever. Oh, like, my, oh my God. I didn't get any business from it. <laughs> I got all these, all these things. It's like, and, and then I'll post another one about really valuable stuff, and it got like, like fuck all engage, <laughs> engagement, but I got like four clients from it. And, yeah. you know, it's not always as straightforward as that. I think you've got to have a blend, but I think sometimes some people, I think that, they, if he had a choice between oh, high likes and high comments versus 10 grand fee, oh, I think I'll have the likes and comments section. It's like, what are you doing, mate? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I think it's, it can be like that. And that's the, yeah. tra- that's the trappings of it. And it can be, you know, it's your screen time. But I, I need to be careful because without it, I wouldn't be where I am. But you can have too much of a good thing. That's what I'm trying to say. I agree. I think, but like you said, you have to sit down and separate it and be like, okay, what is the actual benefit here? Yeah. Like I posted a job ad. I think the other day and I had like 20 likes or something, mm-hmm. but I had seven private messages wow. from candidates who I really want to consider to put down. So for me, that's a win. Yeah, I don't care that the post didn't do well. I had referrals and I had people messaging me in private as they should, mm. you know, rather than commenting or liking the post. Yeah, yeah. So that to me is definitely means a lot yeah. more. But, so, so talk to us about, you, you mentioned BD being slower. I, you, your your approach, but I yeah. think I'd like to know understand how you how you sort of win your customers, but also I think your candidate acquisition process, if I if I may, mm-hmm. what's your approach? Because I think I get the feeling it's really strong. Yeah, but I guess so on the candidate side. Okay, so on the candidate side, weirdly enough, what's worked the most is people becoming very familiar with who I am Mm. or they've seen me before on a video or they're familiar with my face or my name or it's like you know when you think you know someone because you've seen that name yeah and one thing I don't do I don't spam message I do not care what AI generated thing exists yeah I am tailoring my message to every candidate that that I want to work with so never a mass mail shop for example it's no, because yeah. I work on director levels plus. So is it mainly LinkedIn recruiter you use then or how do you? Barely even that. Um, it's um, predominantly referrals. Right, okay. It's really referrals or I go to like my clients like, hey, do you know, have you heard anything? Do you know if they might be looking or X, Y, Z? Mm. But that's the benefit of being niche. Like I don't need a long time to really resource unless it's a super, super hard role, of course. But yeah. A lot of the time, like my response rate is incredible. It's great because the first thing they reply with is like, "Oh, I've seen your videos." I'm like, oh crap! Yeah, that's nice because you never know who sees stuff, do you? But you're talking specifically about, correct me if I'm wrong, anti-financial crime projects and topics specifically, and people know within like two minutes, or oh, actually, this girl is in our space. Let's just go, kind of thing, as opposed to. 
Yeah, that's true as well. Like mm. I look at, I kind of dissect their LinkedIn right. and I just say like, oh, so you've spent two and a half years at the at this business, but you haven't had a promotion yet. Mm. Then I know that the next step would be this for you. And this is the role that I'm hiring for. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just dangle the carrot a bit. It's like, oh, you've not had a promotion for two and a half years? Yeah. Huh, how interesting. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can change that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's the candidate side. On the client side, I I write a lot of reports. Okay. And either market guides or the the most out there thing that I've done before is I did a whole PDF document of Boolean searches. Wow. For talent acquisition to go and use that to mm. hire for the role. So I remember having all these companies and seeing that they're hiring for a money laundering, whatever. And I was like, here you go. I can see this role has been out for three months. Use it, yeah. see how you get on. Yeah. It's amazing the power of a quality Boolean search. I think there's so many recruitment agencies out there that that, that their process could be so much more enhanced because they. Don't, I don't think consultants know what you can actually achieve with a, with a Good so billion search. much, so much, hmm. like a lot. I'm not saying I gave them, you know, the most incredible ones, but no. I gave them, you know, enough to not be like. Not just and or all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just so that they can tap into to different sectors. But because they, I did that, they're like, mm. oh, thank you so much. But when they didn't fill the role, they mm. came to me mm. straight away because I gave them something valuable. Like my main mantra is add value to everyone and anyone yeah. whenever. Yeah. What about the rise of the pronouns thing and the LBQT plus community and mm-hmm. sexism, misogyny? There's a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, I suppose, in a nutshell. What's your view of all that kind of stuff? And Are we talking specifically on the misogyny and sexism? Just, side? I think everyone's got an opinion these days about everything. You know, there's the Russell Brand thing, Andrew Tate, you know. my general view and people can shoot me down if they want to i think actually is a misconception i think generally there is more equality than what we think obviously there's loads of different examples where men have more rights than women there Mm. there just are and there's loads of disadvantages but i also think that it's not as straightforward as that i just want to get your view on that kind of landscape around um what you think maybe men could do more of to help women and women do more of to help men. And and I think sometimes that there's agendas out there, people are forcing agendas down people's throats and it can work against you as well. I think there needs to be a balance, more of a balanced argument on these things. Yeah. I think anytime you force anything down someone's throat, like a, I see, you can see, see that with religion, I guess. Like yeah, if people try to force it down your throat, it's not going to be, Mm. Um, accepted very well. I think mm. with the LGBTQIA and everything, I think it's mm. great that they have changed things on that, but that doesn't mean yeah. that we're going to get it right straight away. I remember feeling really bad when someone's pronouns was were they them, and I kept getting it wrong, and I yes. felt really, really crap. And I was like, "This is going to take time." Yes. This is not something I'm used to and I completely respect it. And that's fine yeah. because that's, that's your thing. But it's almost, as but as give if, me a minute. <laughs> if, you, if you get it wrong, it's like, cause I, I, I was on a LinkedIn live about two or three weeks ago and this very thing happened. And it, oh, was, okay. it was a they, them and I, 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 I should have said, and I mis I, I misgendered the, 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 the person. Mm-hmm. And the backlash I got was like, honestly, I didn't mean, and it was like, I hang on a second. Like, I'm, I'm expected to get it right. And I, I, I I might, I might be talking out of turn, but I think I think that's too, I think that's uh, we're asking too much too, too soon of people. I think 
think give people a chance. I think, mm. yeah, we, we should learn. Definitely. Yeah. I think we do have a responsibility to make people as inclusive as, as possible in every capacity, but mm. we're not going to get it right straight away. And honestly, I kind of look at this yeah. through the lens of my parents, right. like my parents would, would they understand this straight away? No. But they're very, very open-minded people. Like they used yeah. to be religious. And yeah. then I remember asking them, oh, but have you thought about this and this? And they were very accepting, but it took time. Yeah. And open-minded people, yeah, we're just going to need a minute to get used to this if you've never have been. No. But sexism and misogyny, I can't say, I mean, I have experienced it um, on LinkedIn, mm. which was... I don't know. I think anytime you make yourself vulnerable or you're open to it, you're going to receive something. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, unfortunately, it still happens yeah. where you get messages and you don't know how to deal with it. Yeah, and sure. that's... Because you, you, you can be judged for the way you look. Uh, I'm sure you get things... Well, I've seen, I think I've seen it online where you say you, you only get certain opportunities because of the way you look and it's... But actually, client doesn't pay you twenty grand fee just for how you look. I think you said that right. Yeah, that yeah. So that was a brilliant comeback, actually. It, yeah, I remember thinking that there are people who are going to message you, and all they're going to do is waste your time. Mm. And that's when I had to sit down and think, okay, well, am I going to give you my time? Are you going to be wasting it? But yeah, fundamentally, that they're, they're not just going to pay you a fee mm. just because you look hot. Like that's no, no. that's not what's going to happen. No. I think I experienced something a bit different this year and it was a bit shocking, but I remember I had some conversations at the beginning of the year about RecFinder and there were like much bigger people in the industry okay. or they were, you know, they sold businesses and whatever. And people I didn't know, but I got referred to yeah. or introduced to. And they're all men. And... I've never felt so patronized in my life in how they they spoke to me or they called my idea cute right. or adorable yeah. or they kind of looked at me and said, yeah, but you're a 27 year old female. Right. Like, how do you think you're going to do this? It was that type of- Really kind of belittling. Yeah. And yeah. the reason I was so shocked is that I have never, ever had this before. Never anyone who knows me or, or like even talking to you today, who knows what I, what I'm like or yeah. what I've been through would look at me and, and do that. No, no. And on a face value, you have assumed certain Absolutely. things about me. Yeah. Well, you're going to do that. Mm. Um, so that mm. was a bit of a shock. Yeah. But. So you, you say you're an empath. I'm an empath as well. And mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm getting better at it, but I do get affected when people do me a disservice or, 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 or intentionally kind of evil or, or whatever. And I think that affects you as well. Have you got any examples where you've, you've, you've felt energy from someone and it's affected you and just talk because being an empath is, is a lot of people say it, but it, on one hand it's brilliant because it's quite a spiritual thing. On the other hand, I personally get affected by things more than what I should. What about you? Yeah, I'm quite sensitive to like people's, energies and mm. and what i want around me more importantly i i cut out a lot of people progressively out mm. of my life who i didn't think brought me anything positive when i realized why am i so exhausted being around you 
And the reason I'm exhausted is because there's a lot of giving here and I'm getting absolutely nothing back. And Mm. many people might not agree with this, but I do think everything is transactional. I I genuinely do. Because, well, for instance, if I want to spend time with my friend, Mm -hmm. my best friend, there is a transaction there. There is a transaction of energy. I give you my energy Mm. and you give me your energy. And I like that. I get joy. Right. It's a trade-off. Like selfishly, yeah, it's a trade-off. Yeah. There is a transaction. Irrespective I get... of what you think, you, you, you're both getting something out of that situation. Exactly. So I treat that with people as well. If mm. you do not bring me joy or bring me something. Yes, but I think that's. I think you're doing that in a way that's, that's, that's relatively pleasant. What I mean by that is I think there are people out there, I'm not saying I haven't been like this before, but mm-hmm. caveat, but I don't think I am like it now where they see it so much of a transaction where what can I get out of this person? Literally, what can I actually get out of this person? I've got that, got that. Now I'm going to dump them kind of stuff. And I don't think you're saying that, are you? There's a a big difference. No, I think I've never, um, I try not to let those things get to me too much. Don't get me wrong. It's happened where Mm. I've either been taken advantage of or, or any, or something like that. But yeah, really it's more on them. It's, It's shame on you that you have had the capacity to do that. If I've mm. given out of a place of abundance and you've decided yeah. to take advantage of that, that's on you. Mm. But I'm not going to live my life in some type of regret or then not do it in the future to people. Mm. You know, like give more to people or have that fear because then you're going to become this person that's like, oh, do you know what? I'd rather not give anything to anyone no, in course, case right, they right. No, take a good, advantage. That's a good approach. You've got to look at it. It's, it's on them, it's on you. But tell us about a time when you've been, when you've been hurt. I've been hurt. Oh, I think the my first heartbreak mm. that comes to mind straight away when I've been hurt. Mm. I was, I think, in my final year of uni. So I think your first love and your first heartbreak—they're always because it's the first yeah. one. They're things that are really stuck in your head. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I remember being really, really hurt. Like, I was—I think I was crying at uni mm. in my apartment at the time for about four days straight. Right. Like, I had no idea what it was like—a physical thing. I yeah. couldn't get out of bed. Yeah, um, devastated. Oh my god, massively devastated. Yeah, and right. that was my first heartbreak. Mm. We never talk anymore. So. Right. <laughs> I guess from I guess somehow you learn from these things, but I think um, I believe that things do happen for a reason. I'm quite a spiritual person. What about you? I'd say so. I never used to be. Yeah. But I guess I mean, in what sense are you spiritual? In terms of, I'm not. I think there's a a difference between religion and spirituality. So okay. spiritual is in terms of I will pray to my higher power. I believe there's I believe there's frequencies. I believe that you can okay. you can correct your own destiny to an extent if you do the right thing. And I think that I think you are we've all got gifts. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes your life is mapped out. If you're a good person, do the right thing, you do get stuff back. Yeah. I think I'm very similar. I believe in energy. Yes. I don't know if absolutely. that's a religion. <laughs> no, that's a good enough one for me. Yeah. It, mm. I definitely believe in energy and I, mm. any feeling that I'm feeling, I treat it as a vessel in my body that is going to leave yeah. 
at the same time. So if I'm feeling bad, it's okay. I kind of separate it and put it yeah. in a vessel on a ship that is on a boat and is going to move away from you. Mm. And then it's how quickly can I get my energy and my frequency back to a base level consistently mm. um, in both situations. Yeah. It was your birthday recently. And I think you put on, on your post, um, you're 28 or might be another, another post actually. So yes. you, you, on one hand, you feel like you're this mature adult. On the other <laughs> hand, you feel like you're a teenager. Is that right? <laughs> on my Instagram post. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what did I say? I say that. Yeah. I feel like a mature adult or something, but like yeah. the, the most immature of children. Um, I guess linking back to my childhood, because I grew up so quickly, Mm. I don't feel like I, I didn't have a childish childhood at all. Okay. And what I've learned to do now, I guess, because of looking into myself is giving myself that space and freedom to be that child. Mm. I enjoy being a child. I'm really a child you didn't have, basically. Exactly. Mm. But in a position of, of safety, like I'm not. Yeah, right. I'm financially secure. So mm. that was my threat at the time is like, right. we are not financially secure. I have to step up. I have to be responsible or took that on. But now yeah, yeah. I can let that breathe for a second. That's I can great. be this child. Do you feel any resentment towards your folks at all for what happened? No, we spoke a couple of times last year and I remember sitting them down and saying at no point do I want you guys to ever feel blamed for this this is mm, not a blame no no whatsoever and I understand exactly why they made every single decision that they did because mm. they really suffered and they really struggled yeah yeah and all of it like it was literally the best thing for me to be raised by my grandparents if they didn't have anything in right. another country. Yeah. Like all of this makes sense. Of course. And I remember sitting them down and just saying, whilst I understand, unfortunately, I I have to work through these things. Yeah. And part of that is communicating that with you. And they took it on so well. Like I cannot be more thankful for the mm. level of open-mindedness that my parents are. What words would you describe yourself uh, say, I don't know, 10 years ago versus now? How do you think you've changed? What have you learned about yourself? <sighs> 10 years ago, so I was 18. Back in the day. Back in the day, going to university. What have I changed? Um, or what am I like more now? Because mm. for, for me, I, I would use the words unworthy, um, uh, vulnerable and scared 15 20 30 years ago when i was young now i'd say it's still that to an extent but there's more confidence there's more self-assurance there's more self-love mm, so, okay so 18 year old me was very insecure mm. very very insecure but she was ambitious that's not gone away mm. so she was insecure but ambitious and not a lot of confidence, not very confident at all. Um, I would say now, 
more confident, but not just on the outside. Cause I've always looked yeah. like I'm confident, but there's a, like you said, self-assuredness, like internally it's like, no, or my quietly confident, like I'm good. Yeah. 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 I don't have to fake it anymore. No, it's no. fine. Self-love, that kind of stuff, self-respect. Yeah. Self-respect. I put that first because mm -hmm. I've put in boundaries. Mm. I've determined what my values are and I know what my boundaries are and I know how to put them in place. Yeah. I think. What are your values? My main ones. Yeah. <laughs> values in um like loyalty is yeah. a big value of mine. Um family okay. as a value as well. Like really being with your family, loving your family, like You're always close, comes really first. Close to your brother, aren't you? Really close with my brother as mm. well. Yeah. Mm. Um, other values. Timekeeping. <laughs> okay. Don't like being late. I do not like late. No, okay. do not like it. And I remember people telling me, "Oh, but you just need to be more relaxed on it." Like, <laughs> no, because yeah, right. if you value time, mm. and I really value my time, it's the only currency. Yeah. Course, yeah. So if someone is late, yeah, yeah, they don't communicate that with me. Yeah, yeah. It's disrespectful to my time, but it's also okay. why I get so anxious if I'm late, right? Because it's like shit. I've taken yeah. up your time. Yeah, and um, some people just stroll in ten minutes late and don't even question it. It's like that. That's annoying, right? That's so annoying. <laughs> it's so annoying. Um, but I know these are completely my, you know, yeah. my own things. Yeah, yeah. But I'm willing to own it. Yeah, I don't like lateness. Sorry about it. Talking of time, we've actually run out of time. No I, I, I want to carry on. It's gone so quickly. We do have to call it a halt. I'm trying to squeeze in a couple more questions, but, but, but I think that um, you come across really, really well. Um, you're still a very young entrepreneur. You put yourself out there. What advice would you give to an 18-year-old or 20-year-old or a young person trying to build their life, their, their business their, as an entrepreneur? What would you, what would you say to them? get to know yourself before anything get to know what you truly believe in and mm. what what is your purpose what what's that thing and make sure it's tangible yeah don't let it be something like money because once you get there what's it going to be next make sure you have mm. a real real purpose but you're only going to really find that out once you figure yourself out so yes that's what i would say Fantastic. And where can people find you? Where's the best place? LinkedIn. Yeah. Definitely. Of course. Um, I'm on Instagram as well. If people want to see like the more social yeah. side of what I do, TikTok, last one on the list. <laughs> That's the right order, is it? Yes. Alex, absolute pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much. It's been a privilege.